And welcome back to Real Talk with Real People. I am Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and today I have a special guest with me today. Today I have Mr. Albin Jones Sr., who just happens to be my husband, but he's also the head flipper in charge in the band Flip the Script. Hi, Albin. What's up, honey? <laughs> I'm the only one to call you Albin, ain't I? I don't know. I don't pay attention. If I hear Alvin, I usually don't turn around because that means it's the government after me, so I keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, everybody else call you AJ. I think I call you Alvin, but anyway, I'll, I'll call you AJ for the sake of consistency. So welcome to my show. Welcome. I'm happy to see you out here trying to do your thing. I know. I'm happy to be out here trying to do my thing. And you I told ha- the people who hooked you up and set you up with all this gear, though, did you? I, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. If you listen to my podcast with Miss Renee McKinley, you would see that I credited you for being able to have this space that I have right here. Very cool. I like that. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. So this is our conversation about music. Earlier today, I spoke with Taisha Popples and she was telling me about her her interest and her love of music. And we talked for a while about our love of music. But... I want to talk to you about your love of music because when I met you, I met you music related and it's been music related ever since, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've always been a, a huge music fan. Uh, I think the beauty of life is when you find that thing that you say you love early in your life and you pursue it, uh, that's the gift in life. But most of us get sidetracked because we end up doing a nine to five family responsibilities take part of that. But I was always able to keep my uh, passion as my side hustle. So I never, ever gave it up. And from the day, the youngest day I can remember, uh, hearing uh, James Brown, hearing the Beatles, that music did something to me. And I've been inspired ever since all these years. Yeah, when I met you, you was a drummer, a young drummer. I mean, not that you're not a drummer now, but I'm saying that's how I met you. But then you kind of like expanded in the, in the music when when I first met you though mm-hmm. you were a drummer but I also found out that you were a DJ and that's oh, yeah, how I yeah. really got to know your love of music all the music you had as a DJ yeah, and the funny thing is as much as I love being a drummer I actually had the pleasure of DJing yesterday uh, one of my good work friends celebrated his 60th birthday so yesterday I got to schlep all my gear out the basement and set up in his backyard and it wasn't like a party party where people are you know up and dancing and I like those believe it or not better to DJ because then I can go deeper and play some of the stuff that I love and as you know I have this extensive collection of music of course very I know. eclectic and I listen to everything and I'm very happy to say too that I love my son because uh, I think I've been able to infect him with that same eclecticism so between the two of us we listen to everything on the planet I think you actually been able to infect this whole entire household oh yeah with yeah. your music collection yeah. well I play it loud enough so at least you can enjoy it <laughs> exactly I think every every single one of both of our children and our grandson was born into music because music is always playing in this house. You know, period. It's funny if you say that because in the bathroom, we have two radios in the bathroom. My radio's on the top shelf, and I either listen to sports radio, uh, uh, WBGO, or Power 105. My daughter commandeered this other radio I have, and she listens to all this pop stuff. And I look at her sometimes and wonder, who is this chick, okay? And then the grandson and the junior come in the bathroom. They have their phones, and they playing the stuff that they listen to. And then uh, you got your Amazon Echo in there. Yep. So if we all got into the bathroom at the same time, it would be chaos. It would be, it would be chaos. 
chaos because even though we have different tastes, mm-hmm. we have different musical tastes, but we all have an appreciation for everybody's musical taste. Absolutely. Because I can listen to rock, I can listen to to jazz, I can listen to pop. I can listen to spirituals. I can listen to gospel. I can even listen to country. And I know that you are not a fan of country music, but... Well, good country. I can't listen to all country. You know, I grew up on the uh, the Alabamas and all that stuff. If you go back to the stuff before that, that stuff was too twangy and cowboy That stuff not I didn't really appreciate, you know, but... Not all you know, of it. When I heard Alabama and the stuff that those guys were doing, I was like, nah, this is good country music. Well, I actually started listening to music when I was younger, and the first form of music that I actually started listening to was country, because my mother loved country music. And that was your first mistake, but we won't (laughs) hold that against you. But I will say this, that my love of country music has gotten me, and that's what got me into my love of writing music, because a country music song is a story. And I know you're saying all songs are a story, but, but... I'm telling you, I really started listening to the words of some of these countries. So I'm like, yeah, but how many uh, times you want to hear he kicked the dog? The no, truck blew out and no, the no, woman no. Left him. Like, come on, man. It, there you was know? some stories going on in them country songs. Yeah, okay. But anyway, then I started paying attention to other songs and you know R and B because for a long time, you know, we didn't really have an R and B station. So there was the Elton Johns and 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 the other music that we loved. And I remember the song that comes to my mind specifically is the one that Penny loved, "Band on the Run." Oh my gosh, that song was like our popular song inside our inside our house. She loved that song so much. That was your second mistake. (laughs) Left alone to listen to stuff. You know, I heard WWRL. I heard all the stuff that permeated other mediums. So this is why I love music today because uh, we were force fed the stuff that other people said is what we should listen to. And now with the explosion of internet, you get to tap into artists you would never have heard before so you can follow your own pursuit. And one of the things about me is I never ever follow what everybody else is doing. So hence my uh, uh, catalog is that wide because I just won't stay in that narrow focus. Well, that's true. But you listen to what you you find available during that time. Exactly, but that's because po- people won't dig, dig. And as a DJ, one of the greatest things for me, I can't tell you how many times I walked into a music store, just thumbed through the, the rack, picked up an album, and the cover looked interesting to me. And I said, you know what? If they put this much effort in the cover, something on here must sound good. I go downstairs, I got like at least 30 records in my collection that I don't know who the people were, but the cover was exciting enough to buy the record. And you don't get that. You know, people want to force feed you what they want you to hear or what they want to make popular. So it suppresses everybody else's voice in the game. So when I first met you, though, you were a funk guy. I will always be a funk guy. Uh, my, if you listen to me play drums, there is never a doubt when you listen to me play that I was not born and raised on funk. Uh, the Parliament Funkadelic Camp did a huge uh, influence on me. James Brown definitely was one of the first artists who I really gravitated to his music because the drums and the bass and the syncopation was in your face. And I think it's because I like to dance. And so, uh, you know, when you dance into disco music, it's kind of roly-poly. When you dance into rock, it's a little more angular. But when you dance to funk, it's got that nice bounce that makes your body feel good, makes your head snap. So that's the music that uh, truly infected me. And during that era, all those funk bands were amazing. They were like uh, eight, nine, ten man units. They had full on horn sections. They had multiple vocalists, uh, two guitars, two keyboard players. So the music was so rich and, and they weren't boxed in. The record labels let them go crazy. So when you heard a group like Pleasure, you heard a group like Cameo, you heard a group like Brass Construction. 
construction, you know, confunction. Uh, these groups all had different sounds, yet they were still inside that funk genre. And then George Clinton hovered over everybody because at that time, with the Parliament Funkadelic and, and all the stuff he was doing, it just, just destroyed radio because uh, that music just was a whole moving on its own. Yeah. So that's why I, that's what really got me into the music heavy. Yeah, and I remember a story you told me about meeting Rick James. Oh God, yes, man. We met Rick James in, in the Nyack, New York, down by the park by the little Hudson River. There, we used to play basketball down there. And Rick, right before he broke his first single, which was. Uh, Oh God! You and I, and he jumps out of this van, and he had 12-inch records, and we're looking at him, Wally, me, Sharky. We're like, what's up with this? And uh, he handed us a, a 12-inch record. We had no idea. He's telling us he signed to Motown. Who he was? He looked as freaky then as he did as we got to know him. And then, like two, three weeks later, boom, he exploded on radio. So uh, that that just blew my mind. Like it was that real to me that you know you can see a guy, and the next thing you know he. He's all over the media. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, man. You have many artists that you oh, love. Yeah. And I know Prince being one of them. Yeah. Well, let's 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 be clear. Uh, <laughs> Prince is my Mount Everest. Uh, there's there's. Uh, I didn't discover Prince first, obviously, when I listened to music as a young kid, because there was no Prince when we uh, came out. But it didn't take me long to discover him, and I'll never forget. Uh, it was 1979. And uh, everybody was on the Michael Jackson trail because Michael was starting to really bubble and he was, was this kid artist and he was slowly morphing his way into the things that he was going to do. And uh, I just, Prince was just, I heard, the first song I heard from Prince was, I want to be your lover. And I'm like, who's this little, you know, sweet looking guy with the high voice? And I'm like, yeah, he's cute and everything, but, you know, come on. And uh, a couple of months later, because back then they used to release singles off the records like they don't do now. And then I heard this song called Sexy Dancer. And this thing was tight, syncopated, funky. And I'm like, who is this? And it was like, because, you know, wasn't no internet, wasn't no Google, no YouTube back mm -hmm. then. So you had to hustle to get your, your content. And I was like, who is this? And it was like, that's Prince. I'm like, you're the same dude that's singing that? I'm like, no. I ran to the record store. My man on Hackensack, his name was George. I used to live in that record store. And I said, hey, man, does this guy have anything else out? And he gave me his first album. And the first album was called For You. And I grabbed that album. I brought it home. And there's a song on there called soft and wet and I just lost my mind from that you know plus I'm 19 years old my hormones are ranging and at that time Prince was real raunchy and all sexual so all his music spoke to me but when I realized that this guy not only uh, sang he wrote he played all the instruments. He damn near engineered his own stuff. He was signed to Warner Brothers, like a million dollar deal, uh, produced his own album. He, did, he, he just went in there like he would not bend and they wanted other people to produce his record. He wouldn't uh, uh, consent to that. So from the gate, he knew what he wanted to do. And as you saw over those succeeding albums, he got better, better, and better to the icon that he became today. And uh, that had a huge influence on me. And honestly, when I saw him live for the first time, I loved him up to that point. And when I saw him live, then I became obsessed with him. Because at that point, then I wanted to know everything this man does. And the number one thing I love about Prince more than anything else is the fact that he, like Elvis has uh, Graceland, Michael has had, had Neverland. Neverland, Prince built Paisley, uh, Paisley Park. And in essence, it was a compound where he could uh, design his own clothes, he could 
put his own music together and he could bring people in and he's built a sound stage where he could literally throw concerts shoot videos and bring people in even if he wanted to do like a DJ party so he literally built his own little fantasy world with the money he had mm -hmm. and he continually got a return on his investment we look at a guy like MC Hammer mm -hmm. who spent 20 million for his place and right. then couldn't keep it lost it Prince built a place where he could go for the rest of his life and do what he loves to do so when I saw that that in turn made me want to think about what I can do that's why I built my own studio in my yeah. basement <laughs> that's what I like about you because you always go way deeper than the most average person my introduction to Prince was I want to be your lover but most people didn't really get on the Prince bandwagon into Purple Rain mm -hmm. but the one thing I do know about you is that you've always been a Prince fan since the time I've known you and you've never wavered it wasn't like all right this is a bad album so I'm going to drop him to the curb this is a bad album I'm not going to go back you were a Prince fan through all of his albums even the ones that did not sell that oh, yeah. well yeah well think about it because uh you know he came out in 78 actually and then he did uh his second record which kind of broke him to the masses mm -hmm. that's how we heard i want to be a lover then he dropped uh a dirty mind that album was like a a, a very eclectic punkish kind of funky kind of rock record and uh he grabbed the whole i think a lot of white fans grab it to him with that radio uh with that record because uh the elements in it was kind of crazy and i don't think i think black america kind of would looked at him and couldn't stay with him and yeah. white america really fueled him right. and then he came out with controversy and that had a couple great smashes yeah, on yeah, it that blew yeah. people's mind the 1999 hit now he's got a couple of them black dance tracks. Yeah. Everybody gravitated to him. And then he hit us with Purple Rain. Yeah. And when Purple Rain dropped with the movie, of course, of mm -hmm. the same name, mm -hmm. he exploded. He went from this underground cult guy that we had to the whole world had him. Yeah. And then Prince said, you know what? Check this out. I'm going to make a left turn. Then he dropped Around the World in a Day. And everybody that jumped on the Purple Rain uh, track jumped off because Under the Cherry, uh, under the cherry Moon, uh, Around the way, uh, World in a Day was nothing like Purple Rain. No. And no. he did that strategically, I say to his detriment, because he, I don't think you want to have to repeat yourself, but you got a whole following here. You should keep them on the train with you and smooth them into, you know, give them another record or two with some of the same elements. Don't just make this hard left and, and, and drop them off. But a fan like me stayed with them. But that album had Raspberry Beret on it? Raspberry Beret, Pop Life. Pop Life, uh, yeah. The Ladder, uh, America. Uh, you know, my favorite jam, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite from the album, but the one that spoke to me the most is the song Condition of the Heart. That is an incredible ballad that is so whimsical and it's just crazy. Yeah. Even remember, Paisley Park with the Beatles sound to it, yeah. sound like something that John and Paul would have wrote, you know, yeah. back in the 60s. I remember that being one of your favorites. I have the pleasure of knowing most of Prince's albums because of you. But in all honesty, if it wasn't for you, I don't know if I would have latched on to Prince. Oh, I agree. Because it, he wasn't really in my, in my wheelhouse. And he was uh, I was, was, was going to say that. Yeah. I was going to say that. I, I, I couldn't listen to some of Prince's songs. And it was even hard to listen to it in the house when you had it blasting all over the place. But after a while, you know, you kind of get conditioned. This is Al. This is Prince. Nobody cares. You know, but moving on, you have found other artists that have inspired you, too. Oh, God. I, I, I can't. I, we don't have enough 
time for me to list everybody. I uh, know, but you can obviously talk Earth, Wind, about and Fire was just uh, what Maurice White did with that group. Uh, you know, I, I consider him that another one of those classic musical geniuses. What he did with that group just changed the whole music landscape. Uh, I, if I, I really think about it, that is my favorite band of all time because the scope of music from jazz to pop to funk, they just covered everything. But from a lyrical, from a musical. And from a performance aspect, these guys just blew the house down. Nobody's touching them. Uh, Cameo is a band that's near and dear to me because Larry Blackman being the drummer and then coming from behind the drums and going up front mm -hmm. to, to sing, uh, that's a hell of a transition and he did it well. And just the grooves in the Cameo. You get the anthology uh, one and two, and you'll learn everything you need to know about Cameo because that is just a collection that will have your head snapping. Uh, and, and, and other groups that, uh, you know, and I always like to say that inside of me, there's a white guitar player trying to get out of me because I love rock music. Uh, you know, groups like Metallica and, and uh, oh my God, Aerosmith and, and, you know, Rush, you know, Led Zeppelin, all that stuff is amazing. That's like great, great music. Uh, I'm so happy that, like I said, my son it really likes that and he ended up playing drums in a rock band, no less, because we're in infected by that that mm -hmm. that stuff is just great great music uh, but I also listen to classical music you'll come through and yeah. you'll hear me playing classical stuff so you know I love Mozart Beethoven you know Rachmaninoff Schubert I love all that stuff and what about your first introduction to jazz oh god well <laughs> Uh, I really did not uh, like jazz that much, to be quite honest with you. And uh, I just kind of, you know, it was that background distraction. And then one day uh, I heard this record and the record just floored me. And I was like, oh, my God, who is this? And it was Miles Davis. And it was off his seminal Kind of Blue album. And the track was So What? And when I heard that track, it just like, I couldn't just process it. So of course now I gotta go find this record. And now I hear all blues, Freddie Freeloader. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's only about six tracks on that record, but every track is lethal. And Miles was at his, his peak. And I believe at one time, if it's still not, it was the number one selling jazz album of all time. Here it is 2019, that album is just amazing. That album was cut in like 1959. Okay. What, so what? Yeah, the uh, kind of blue. Oh, kind so of. So the fact that it was that album that that really imprinted, uh, you know, the jazz culture. But what I did on that album is I looked at who played on that album because I wanted to know who could hang out with this guy, and I discovered Herbie Hancock. I'm mm -hmm. like Herbie Hancock. That's mm -hmm. the chameleon guy, the real mm -hmm. funky yeah. synthesizer guy. So I had to go back and find out. Yo, Herbie wasn't that. You know, Herbie was a jazz pianist before he went off and and the stuff that you liked. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. The drummer was Tony. Williams. Tony Williams was like baby faced, a little kid with this. Even when he passed away at far too young, he still looked like a, a, a little kid because he looked just like this young man. But he was a killer drummer. Uh, Ron Carter was on bass. You know, the, the, the band was crazy. I believe on saxophone at that time was uh, was Charlie Parker. Uh, no, I could have been Coltrane. But uh, it, it just that group was like legendary. And so from that group, I started checking out these other guys and what that did is it, it cracked the door open for me and allowed me to walk through the jazz world and then I had you would think as a musician I would have appreciation right, for right, it right. but I didn't because my mind was close to that sound and when he opened the sound up then I started discovering you know Wenton Marsalis and you know all these other cats that were just super heavyweights and that really opened the floodgates and I don't think it wasn't until I joined the jazz band I joined this jazz band in 2000 and I said well I'm a funk drummer I need to figure out a way to open up my playing 
thing, and I got an opportunity to join the jazz band in 2000. I was a BGT 112, which is funny, the leader of the band is Lonnie Jones, so we used to uh, tease everybody talking about the, the Joneses are taking over, but what it gave me the opportunity was to sit down and really immerse myself in that music, learn to play it. I'll never be an authentic jazz drummer, but it opened up my play and allowed me to really appreciate that music. Right. So that's but, what it did for yeah. me. Yeah, but prior to the jazz um, band that you were in, you were in quite a few other bands. Oh God, yeah, man. As you were, <laughs> as you were getting your chops up. <laughs> oh yeah, I had a, a, a funny history. Uh, you know, your your brother, one of my favorite musicians of, uh, of all time. Uh, his name is, is Jimmy Bethay. His main instrument is bass. Jimmy's one of them guys can play a little bit of everything, but when he puts the bass in his hand, the bass speaks to him. And when I heard him play, I'll never forget the first time I met him when you first went to his house. Right. And uh, <laughs> don't, I hope he ain't listening. But I already <laughs> told him the story, so I hope he ain't listening again. He played for me. I had never really heard fusion jazz. He played for me Stanley Clark, Alphonse Muzon, and Weather Report. And then he picked this bass up and he was playing along with those records and like playing note for note. Mm-hmm. So he's playing Jocko, he's playing Alphonse, he's playing, you know, uh, Stanley Clark. I was like, my eyes just popped out because at that time I was a fledgling drummer yeah. trying to get some, you know, my skill together. Man, when we left out of there, I stole those records, folks. I stole those three. Matter of fact, if you go down to my studio right now, I have those three albums in my collection. I pilfered those records and I came home and I wore those records out listening to them, you know, and that opened up my mind to the whole fusion side of jazz because Miles had did like Bitches Brew, but that music was a little too hard for me. Like I really wasn't feeling that, even though I love Miles. And then when I heard the, the fusion stuff like that, that uh, Jimmy played for me, then I started appreciating it all. So uh, Jimmy, thanks for that, brother. I love them records still. <laughs> He actually knew you took them. <laughs> so it wasn't really a secret. No. But I, and then remember, you asked about the band, so I yeah. played with, uh, you know, we had the, the little group. I don't remember the name of the group, but uh, I remember playing with, with that group. Uh, I think uh, Mike Mobley might have been on bass, or he was in the bigger group. And No, because Jimmy was in the big group, so Mike was with us. Uh, oh, God, I played with this group, the, the Funk Mob we put together. Yeah, I played the with uh, uh, Shahidi and, and Jasmine featuring Finesse. And Shahidi, uh, his claim to fame was he was the keyboard player in the group Quasar that came out of the P-Funk family. Uh, I played with uh, a couple of, of rock bands like Classic Blue and, you know, a couple things like that. All that while I was just trying to, you know, build my, right, my, my right, own repertoire right. and get my own chops together mm-hmm. uh, until I could find that niche of what I was really looking for and trying to do. Exactly. And what I know about you um, from all the years that um, we've been together is that you always wanted your own band. Yeah, you were in other people's bands and, you know, you went the circuit, but you always wanted your own band. So now you have your own band. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how that came to be. Well, it is it's a little crazy uh, how, how we came to be, especially when you think that's something you always wanted to do. I think the fact that I had a studio at the house, it allowed me to the freedom very much like Prince did. Uh, if he didn't have anybody around him, he could literally do everything himself and, and just make it happen on his own. And I think I kind of went through that phase because I built my studio. I've had the studio since we, I left Hackensack in 88. Yeah. But I didn't fully flesh it out till 95 when I put it in the basement. Right. And then 96 when I expanded it and made it like a real true studio. So from 96 to the inception of Flip the Script, which happened in 2009, mm-hmm. I had all that time to tinker around and practice all those things I was trying to do. Right. And then here comes 2009. 
And uh, the funny thing is, uh, me and my son had been playing together in uh, the jazz band for a little bit, and then in the rock band for a little bit, but he would come up and play drums, like we'd kind of switch off. And then we met the bass player, uh, Jason Allen, he kind of played in a couple bands with us. So without knowing it, we had our rhythm section form. Right. And I think that it, it hit me. We did, uh, I used to run an organization called MI, Minority Interchange, and we did the black history thing at uh, our, my company's Edison Training Center. Right. And me, Jay, and Junior played there. And that day, I think that's when the, the idea really percolated that, you know what, this could be the core of the unit. Right. So we did that. And then here comes 2009. It was uh, either right before, probably like July, and Junior had a gig that he said we can go out and play. It was this place called the Coffee Cave in Newark, which is I don't think is there anymore. Mm. And uh, we decided we needed a vocalist. So we have this young man who's out in L.A. now, got nominated for a Grammy a little while ago uh, as a writer uh, for some stuff on the Maya album. And he came in. His name is Demar. He came in and, and sang with us. So we thought he'd be our lead singer. But uh, probably about two weeks before the gig, he really decided he wanted to move in a different direction and do something else. So it was cool. You know, he went his way. And uh, you were doing your play. Mm -hmm. And the girl that's supposed to sing the song decided that she couldn't sing the song. And then the girl who was acting in the play stepped up to sing the song. And we were like, well, I was like, because I came there to video and take pictures of y'all. Y'all called it a stage reading. Right, stage reading. And, I, and Long Branch. And I'm looking at her yeah. and I'm like, man, you know, the fact that she wasn't the original girl and, and she actually like she was giving it her all. I was like, OK. But it, that just kind of tucked away in the back of my mind. So y'all did the play. Y'all had a cast party here at the house, and me, Jay, and Junior were downstairs in the studio jamming. She came downstairs, and she poked her head around the corner, and she said those fatal words. She said, hey, are you guys a band? We're like, yeah, kind of. So, are you looking for a singer? We're like, yeah, kind of. She's like, well, I sing. <laughs> and we were like, really, what do you know? She's like, ah. She had never sang with a band before, you know, front of the band. We were like, I tell you what, here, learn these songs. You got two weeks, we got a show. <laughs> and so literally we had like two practices yeah. and I, I put her on the spot because that day of the gig, it was blazing hot. I'll never forget that. I had people in the audience, Al and Val, who had Cafe, uh, Cafe 170. 170 yes. I, I asked them to come to that show to take a look at us because the hope was we'd go there and play right, right. and give us a venue to play in. And we were horrible, just the instrumental guys. We went up and did some instrumentals. We were bombing. And I told them, if we don't get this together, I'm not going to bring her up. And when she came up to her credit, we didn't scare her off. And I told the <laughs> crowd right before she went on, like, this is the Roman Coliseum. I said, this is her first gig with us. If she's good, y'all give it a thumbs up if she's no good give it a thumbs down and we'll go look for somebody else and I told her there's no pressure her mama was in the crowd and uh let's just say August 16th 2009 the rest is history <laughs> she she prevailed and that was how flip the script was born yeah and when we first started out I was extremely heavy-handed because you know I had a vision uh, I had a sound, and, and, and I really, that's what I drove for. Right. And fortunately, uh, AJ being my keyboard player, uh, he was able to execute those parts. Jay being the bass player, uh, the, the, we, the three of us were able to come together. And then Tasha having such an incredible retention of lyrics, she was able to float across that. And we did that literally for like four or five years right. by ourselves. Right. Okay. Uh, then we finally got our next background vocals because Tasha told us we had to sing. 
So me and Junior are back there trying to sing background vocals. We used to call ourselves the slack ground vocalists, meaning that if the music was more important than the part we need to sing, we would let this, the singing go by and we would concentrate on the music right, right. and Tasha would have to hold it on her own. Mm. So she recruited, uh, we actually had another girl first who came in, uh, who I think is now the girl uh, Fallon, I think she came in. Uh, she was, sings with Queen Blue Nile and uh, she came in one night and we had her, and she was amazing. She is a, a background singing machine. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. But she didn't want to join the band. Okay. Uh, then uh, they found uh, Heather. Heather became our vocalist, and uh, she joined the band. So now we had Tasha and uh, Heather. And then the following week, Ray Jean showed up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, now we had three girls up front and three musicians in the back and that seemed to cement the lineup and what it allowed is a little flexibility because now it took the pressure off me and Junior having to sing we could concentrate on the music let the girls handle all the vocals and it also you know I stopped being such domineering and I allowed a little more flexibility and they started bringing a little more of the pop tunes in that I probably would have never played if they hadn't been a part of the group yeah I actually was going to mention that because I know how heavily funk you are yeah man so I always imagine that the band that you created for yourself would be a funk band but then I watched how you adapted to the fact that okay I don't have a funk band and I'm going to have to just adjust a little bit so that the girls can have an opportunity to show what they can do so there was a give and take give and take and Mm -hmm. I and I saw you guys um actually grow from from the bottom trying to find that connection to where you got to where you are today now there was a change in the venue um because you lost heather as a um a backup singer yeah heather was bad heather was uh she came from seattle originally and then she migrated to the east coast and uh, heather was the uh, the white girl that sang in our band so we had that prince diversity (laughs) thing happening which was cool and uh, But more importantly, Heather was a great singer. She had mm-hmm. a great voice. So I, I think she brought a rich tapestry to the band that we have lost because of the way her sound uh, melded with yeah. the band. And her signature song, she did the, uh, the uh, Alicia Keys, If I Ain't Got You, I think was her song, is that we, we let her do. I don't and remember. She just killed that song. She hit this, this note that she would just kill the song with. And uh, I would like to give Heather a shout out because on the last gig she did with us, we did it at Bunny's and uh, we were doing shot, 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 shots all night. Let's just say the old girl went out with a bang because with the amount of shots that we did between the band and the rest of the, the venue, uh, I know she had at least a two, three hundred dollar bill that night because <laughs> we was killing it that night. Well, shout out to Heather. Yeah, man. <laughs> and then when uh, Heather left. We went back to the two girls, just uh, uh, Tasha and Ray Jean. And uh, let me mention Ray Jean for a minute because Ray Jean, Ray Jean has this uh, gift of, of, she was like Fallon. She had this inc- incredible gift of finding that little harmony piece and then jumping on it and building that sound. Right, right. So that's really Ray Jean's gift of, of to the band. And then we got Anique. Anique's been with us for the last two years. And that would be New Flipper. That's New Flipper because <laughs> we all have Flipper names. Mm-hmm. And Anique came into the band and she plays a little bit of guitar, but she has a little bit more of an angular, huskier voice. So now it changed the dynamic, changed the blend, but she brought that youthful energy into the band. So then we started doing a couple more of the pop songs where she had a couple of tracks that she uh, would bring to the band. And so that became the, 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 you know, the unit that, that functioned. And if I had to break us all down, 
you know, I'm, I'm the foundation, you know, I'm the visionary and, and I'm the, the thing that makes the engine go. Junior is our soundscape. When you hear the band and you like what we do, it's really coming from Junior because he's playing all the melodies and everything. He's the one that's got to learn the songs, break it down and then teach it back to us so that mm -hmm. we can function as a unit. Uh, Jay just holds the bottom down as that bass player. His, his job is to be solid in the pocket and keep that low end happening like it needs to happen. And then uh, Ray Jean is the background specialist. Uh, uh, a new flipper joins in, brings her sound uh, to to put a little more or edge onto the sound, mm -hmm. and then Tasha, for the most part, is the lead singer, if you will, and she really is, and, and she's also the show. She's she's got that right. showman personality. Showman, yeah. I think the hardest thing to do as a band is to have that frontman personality. Mm -hmm. I like to say that me and my son are frontman tied behind instruments that we can't get up and be out front. Right. He's behind the keyboard stack. I'm behind the drum. If you put me out front, I would turn the venue out because I would engage the people, I would just interact with them, and so I can see why, why uh, Larry Blackman got off the drums and came out front, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So let's talk about um, your flipper names. You named everybody in your band. Yes. Let's talk about those names, what so, they mean. So when we got the band together, I, I always envisioned calling the band The Far Side, and the reason I wanted to call the band The Far Side is like, we'd be on stage, the curtain would open up, and we'd all be at the different instruments. And then we would play like a song and we wouldn't be able to play it that well, okay? And then we would look at each other with this confused look on our face. Then we would go to our right instruments and then we would start playing good. So I always thought like that kind of crazy concept was crazy. So when I put the flippers together, I said, man, we're called Flip the Script. I said, we gotta have some fun with this, you know? The whole concept of flip the script, what is that? You know, what you think you see is not what it is, and mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. get the opportunity to flip it. We do a lot with the music where we'll blend mixes and sing different vocals over different songs just to give it that little freshness. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I said, well, we got uh, dual flipper names, if you will. Your first flipper name is your number of you coming to the group. So it's six of us right now, so we're flippers one through six, mm -hmm. okay? Then you have your unique flipper name. So me, I'm HFIC, that's the head flipper in charge. That just makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Junior is the music director. So he is flipper MD. Jay is the bass player. So we simply call him bass flipper. <laughs> uh, Tasha, our lead singer, never had a flipper name. When she came into the group, we christened her Miss Shay. Then a couple years down the road, I'm going to say maybe three or four years down the road, we did a show. That was the show we did at uh, Cafe 170. We decided to call that show Lady, Sings the Lady Shay Sings the Blues. Right. And from that night forward, she transformed from Miss Shay. She's now Lady Shay. All right. So where did the concept Shay, where did Shay come from? That came from her. Okay. I, I I I think she was kind of doing like the Shay Shay Lafam thing. Oh, okay, and okay, kind of okay. Stuck with her, and she because I didn't really understand where yeah, she. We'd have came to in. fully ask her, but okay. that really marinated inside of her. But at the time, we didn't think about it. But now it makes sense that for her not to truly have a flipper name. You okay. know what I mean? And then when Regine came into the band. We called her La Bella Flipper because Regine has some uh, Haitian heritage to her. So, you know, La Bella kind of give a little play on the words and it just was perfectly. It, it fit her, we think, perfectly. And then here comes Anique. 
Anique comes to the group, and we told her in no uncertain terms, you got to come up with a flipper name. And she's like, well, like, what's a flipper name? Like, she's just getting, she's like, right, look right. at us like, we crazy, you right. know? And we're like, you know, well, you're the newest flipper, so you, you need a name, you know? She was like, all of a sudden, it's like, new, new, and we was like, new, 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 and new flipper became her <laughs> name, and it just stuck. And we don't spell it N-E-W, we spell it N-U. Yeah. So yeah. she's a new flipper. Yeah. And that's how we got our flipper names, you know? So, and I created a whole nother uh, alias. Now we all got another alias, mm -hmm. which is a whole nother level of names. <laughs> okay. So this year, I believe you celebrated 10 years? Yeah, this is our 10th our year, what I like to call the core four. The core four is, as I said, myself on drums, uh, AJ on keyboards, Jay on bass, and Tasha on vocals. The four of us have been together for 10 years. So from 2009 to 2019, we celebrate 10 years as a unit. Mm -hmm. uh, Ray Jean has been with us now for five years, so she celebrates her fifth year in August, and uh, Anique has been with us for two years now. So uh, that's crazy. And uh, at our last show, uh, a little bit of bittersweet, I would say, uh, Tasha announced, she had told us in, in a couple of rehearsals up to that, that she's at the point where she needs to take a little hiatus and, and take a break. And uh, I, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think we're at the point it's a, a much necess a necessary and needed break. I think like anything, uh, when something goes for so long, uh, sometimes it either gets stale, uh, you, you start to lose the energy and the drive that made it special to what it used to be. Right. Uh, I think for me personally, I, I, I am very, uh, I'm very hard and, and, and sensitive about my music. I take my music seriously. When I'm in the car, my shit gotta sound good. When you hear me coming down the street, my music sound better than anybody. My music sound better than some of y'all homes. That's how serious I'm about my music. And, uh, and I think when, when we get to this point, I think people don't feel the same energy. Uh, they don't take it the same way. You know, we start becoming later to rehearsal. We don't do the homework required to make the music sound the way it needs. Then we get on stage and we're not as cohesive as we need to be and that to me is just signs that there's starting to be cracks in the armor and so you know maybe it's that time where it's time to, to, to pump the brakes you know regroup have a fresh start whether it means you know disbanding the whole thing and, and rebuilding it from scratch whether it means you know taking a hiatus maybe a couple of members may want to leave and go do something else in their lives I don't know what that thing is mm -hmm. but I'm not selfish enough to, to want to just hold something together that may not need to have to stay together. Uh, we've had an incredible run. We've got to play some amazing places. Our signature gig that we've done for the last five years is we've done it with the Harlem Junior Tennis and Education Program. We got our pictures taken with Billie Jean King, um, Martina Navratilova, Boris Kajo, Vanessa Williams, uh, oh God, Jean Ash, uh, Oh man, I don't want to leave uh, people out. Layla Ali, you know that that platform afforded us an incredible opportunity to walk mm -hmm. through a room with a bunch of celebrities. That would have never happened if we weren't in Flip the Script. Right. And just like going down to the first spot we started jamming at a place called The Spot, mm -hmm. downtown Newark, a little hole in the wall type spot. But I always told them whether you're playing at The Spot or you're playing at Madison Square Garden, whether you're playing for 20 people or you're playing for 2,000 people, you deliver the same show exactly. because you do not cheat your audience. And if you cheat your audience, you cheat yourself. Every time I hit that stage, I am what I call a PTP. I am a primetime performer. I might not be in rehearsal given that, that whole you know showmanship thing that, that will drive the band, but I'm trying to, in rehearsal, I'm trying to flesh it out and get it together. But when I hit that stage and the lights come on, oh, believe me, uh, that's what I'm turning 
turn it on. And I expect everybody else to turn it on. And when I don't see that, then I get frustrated, okay? And uh, one thing I will say is uh, I, I believe, real simple, there is rehearsal, there's practice, and then there's performing. And actually, I should say practice is first because practice is, I'm a drummer. So that means I need to sit down in the studio and play my drums and just get used to how my drums feel and, and work on some things. If I want to work on time, sit there and play a groove. If I want to work on some fills, work on the fills. If I want to work on things like that, that is practice, mm -hmm. okay? Then whatever songs that I, I need to learn with the band, that's what practice is for. So you spend that time learning your instrument and learning the song, the material you need to learn. Mm -hmm. Then at rehearsal, we get together at rehearsal to practice what we say we're going to do. Right. You don't right. use rehearsal to practice. You should have did that at home on your own time. Don't come to rehearsal to practice because now you're wasting time. Right. If we have to spend, if we go to rehearse for two hours and we got to spend an hour of that practicing, we just lost an hour worth of rehearsal, right? So now rehearsal, you put all that stuff together, okay? You get it the way you want to, and then performance is where you take practice, rehearsal, and then it hits the stage and you deliver the show. That's how I like to operate. And if we don't do that, then the, you, you, you see the cracks in the armor right. when we're outperforming. Right. So I, our last show we just did was a Spielder Park, July 6th. Uh, probably wasn't one of our better shows. Uh, our, some of our signature songs, we, we nailed a couple of songs we kind of, you know, morphed our way into. It was rainy, you know, a little bit overcast, yeah. so it, it, it takes some of that energy out of, of the performance. Wasn't a mobbed a crowd, you know, out there. So it was a couple factors that kind of went into that, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, hey, man, if this is the thing you say you love to do and this is what you want to do, you need to get out there and you need to do it. Right. Know? When I was talking to um, Taisha, she was saying how when she was um, on American Idol, how hard it was for her um, when she got into a group, when she was singing by herself, when she was up there by herself, everything was fine. She got through. But then when she was put with a group with the different voices and the different styles and, and the different ways that people operate at that point, they kind of like didn't make it at that point. Mm -hmm. How difficult is it to work with a group? <laughs> well, there's this thing in life called marriage. And <laughs> if you're a normal traditional couple, you're only married to one person. When you're in a group, you are married to everybody in the group. So it's six of us. So I'm married to five other people in that group, okay? And uh, it is no different than a family. Uh, you're gonna have your little disagreements, your little fallout. Uh, I told you, I tend to be the heavy. Uh, you were privy uh, when we had a falling out with Heather uh, yes. at her house at a Christmas party. I was there. Uh, I kind of stayed back and I didn't, if I would have forced the issue, we would have probably damaged the relationship and it would have never been you know, where we could be. Uh, I always said that we all have nine to fives. So we do the music thing on the side. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this is not what my livelihood is, when it's my livelihood, there are gonna be people I'm gonna work with that I don't wanna work with. There are gonna be gigs that I don't wanna do that I have to take because I gotta keep the lights on, I gotta keep the mortgage paid, I gotta keep the car running. And 
the fact that this is our side job, I don't have to make those concessions. So the people that I work with are people I truly care about, people I want to work with. And so I have been so blessed across the spectrum of all the bands that I've been in. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work with those people. And when things did not go the way they need to be, I was able to walk away because I didn't depend on that check to survive with. Okay. And so the fact that we've been together 10 years, I believe says a lot about us. Mm -hmm. Five years was four of us. So only married to three people. The last few years now, you're married to five people. So it's that give and take. You have to have that give and take. Uh, you kind of know you're only as good as your weakest link. So you got to figure out what your weakest link is, and then how do you uh, build that up or how do you minimize it so it doesn't rear its ugly head. And I think we've been able to, to do that. And I think at the end of the day, what we've really been able to do is respect, care, and love for each other. And uh, even in those times when we kind of, you know, eyeballing each other, you know, kind of rough, we still did it out of love as opposed to just right. vehemently going at people. And we always tease each other and said, how crazy it is that we don't have our own behind the music special, okay? <laughs> and I worked hard to, to cultivate that mm -hmm. because I've been in bands where I literally, uh, and, and you'll remember one, the show I did at Mr. G's, when I was coming off that stage behind the keyboard player to kill him, and you put your hand in my chest to stop me. Because I, if you hadn't put your hand in my chest, we'd have been brawling right in the middle of the venue, okay? Yeah, that wouldn't have been cool. It wouldn't have been cool. No. But I got to that point because it was the way he was treating people. And so when I saw that, I always felt that as a leader, I would never do that to my people, okay? I'm going to bark at them and do it because I grew up with James Brown. James Brown, if you missed the step, you missed the cue, you got fined, okay? You know, if, if you were getting $100 and you missed the cue, you got docked $10. You missed two cues, you got docked $20. You missed enough cues, you don't get a check, okay? So there's something to be said about that because it gets you on your game because not out of fear because you don't want to mess up, but it makes you take your craft seriously mm -hmm. so that you don't mess up. And that's what I'm talking about. So I'm difficult in that kind of manner, but uh, you know, we're respectful. And one of the things with our vocalist, the reason she wanna take a hiatus, she has a daughter who's getting to that college age and trying to get all those things, get her to the place where she can be so that this young woman can be successful. Guess what? Her family's life is way more important than Flip the Script mm -hmm. Band. And if anybody in the band has a problem with that, you come see me, okay? Because it's about life first. And, and the band is secondary. But because we've been together for so long, we're like all a part of each other's lives. We know everything that's going on. Hell, my bass player's brother is one of the guys from the Dominican Republic that passed away. Depending on which report you listen to, he was either number eight or number nine. So my bass player just went through that, okay? Matter of fact, we did the show on July 6th. He buried his brother the Friday, July 5th, okay? I was gonna cancel the show, you know, when I first talked to him, when the situation went down, but he came to rehearsal, he wanted to do the show. And the shame of that is a year before, his sister had passed away. We did a show March of 2018. His sister sat at the foot of the stage. We came back in June of 2018, his sister was dead. And so he lost two siblings in a year. And his mom is still alive, so she lost two children. Hey, man, that's, that's a load. And, you know, if, if he said to me he didn't want to do the show, we wouldn't do the show. But he said, I'll do the show. So that's what I mean about caring about your people. That's why I think we've lasted this long, because there's a little bit of TLC inside of who we are and what we do. And when it stops being fun and when it stops being that thing that we love to do, it's time to walk away and go do something else or go do something else with other people. Right. So 
we're flipped the script right now. I know that Tasha has to take a little leave, but what about the other two girls? Where are you right now? Where flipped the script? Well, I I think we're going to basically take a, a hiatus. Okay. You know, everybody's going to kind of go our own way. Uh, like I said, we've been together ten years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's now now's the time to go find yourself. Okay. Go do the things you're going to do. For me, I'm going to immerse myself into my studio. Mm-hmm. I've brought uh, a lot of new gear of late. I'm going to sit back down. It's time to start creating new songs and stuff and you know, go back in and re-record stuff that I loved and, and just work on that, work on my drum skills, you know. If uh, somebody's out there, they reach out to me, they need me to go play drums mm-hmm. on a gig, I'd be open to do something like that. Uh, Jay will probably uh, work on the stuff he's got. He's got, uh, you know, young son at home, newly married, only been married a few years mm-hmm. now. Uh, Ray Jean it, it moved into a new home, so she's getting herself together. Matter of fact, I think Anika is also moving, getting ready to get herself together. So everybody's got a few things going on mm-hmm. that kind of allow you a chance to maybe sit back, take a break, and go pursue those things. And, and Junior, you know, he's been dropping music yeah. forever, so he'll just continue doing those things that he do. Yeah. And then, you know, if we if a gig comes up and everybody's available, we'll get together, rehearse, and, and go do the gig. Or it might be, you know what, well, it's time for the, the creator of the new Flip the Script and, and, and reinvent it and come back with something new or sunset it, and, and it's, it's off the charts and done forever. Two words you used. One that I have been using the whole time I've been doing this podcast is reinventing yourself. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is how things come full circle. Because you mentioned going back into the studio, doing some studio work. Yeah, man. Now, I happen to know that that is a great love of yours. In fact, we have a lot of original stuff that we have done together. Yeah, man. Between the songwriting and the and the pulling together of the, the work to do. So are you... St- are you thinking that maybe you're going to go back to the well and maybe pull out some of those songs that you were working on years and years ago because maybe the time is now for those songs to resurface? All right, so it's crazy you say that because <laughs> we have a guy at the job. His name is Matt. He's a real, so you know, kind of one-way kind of dude. Never married, no kids, you know. Keeps a nice car, a nice place, you know. All he likes, he's like a shore bum. That's his thing. And uh, we have a guy that used to play drums. He's new to our group. His name is Vinny. So I was showing Vinny some of the clips of the stuff we were doing. And Matt comes over and he says, hey, man, show Vinny that thing. What thing? You know, that thing with you and your wife, that thing. I'm like, what? He's like, you know, the one where you're all young and everything. So I showed him, what have you done to me? Uh, What you going to do, boy? And he's Uh. like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. And I'm like, well, that's the only one I'm thinking of. But it was the vibration video. Vibrations, yes. I showed him the video vibrations (laughs) clip. And he looked and he said, that's the one I'm talking about. He said, yo, he said, listen, he said, your wife is hot then. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, look at us. I said, you talking, that's 92. Oh, my. You know? And he, here's a guy that has no connection to us, but he loved that clip because it was the way we looked. We have, me and Jimmy had the matching outfits yes. on. You were coordinated with us. Yes. And we were performing. It looked like a real live performance. Yeah. And so the, I, I always loved that because the thing that got me into this music this heavy was Prince. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that Prince could go into the studio and create his own stuff. So the fact I took piano lessons for two years so I could at least move around the keyboard. I would never call myself a keyboard player, mm-hmm. but I can sit down. I can play my stuff, but I might not be able to play your stuff. But I, I, I will always get in there and tinker. You know, I'm always, you know, trying to come up with some grooves and stuff and then put down some tracks and, and, and have at it and see what we can do with it. Yeah, I know. Those were, I have to tell you. 
probably the best years of my life when we were working together because as I was telling Taisha um, this morning, I started out doing songwriting. Songwriting was how I began my whole writing career. I started out doing songwriting. And I promise you, the songs that we did in that basement were some of the hottest songs. Even today, yeah. when I hear those songs, I know it has not lost its pop. And I keep telling you, hey, you can pull that song off, brush it off, change the music a little bit, and it will be a hit today. Yeah, I got three that I think are serious uh, contenders. You know, of course, you think everything you write is great. Well, everything you write is great to you. Yes, but, but you, you got to think about the world. But easily, without question, there are three that I think could stand on their own and could, could make some serious noise. So it's either, are you trying to be an artist? yourself are you trying to shop this to people that could deliver it for you it's it's what are you trying to do with it so a matter well, of fact i even wrote a song for the girls i like the girls to come in and perform mm -hmm. because uh, you know i don't at this point in my life i don't see myself i don't even think i'm going to play drums you know like out live you know at 25 35 45 schlepping drums around was cool yeah getting close to 60 it ain't cool like it used to be. I need a roadie now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so, that doesn't mean that you don't take your stuff no, and, and allow somebody would, else to perform it. But I it. could sit in the studio yeah. and I could write, I create, and I could, you know, and I think, you know, who better to be like a manager, mentor to like other there folks coming are. up. So that, that I think would be something I could fall into very Absolutely. easily. Absolutely. So I'll never give up. Music is, I'll never give up music, man. That's the, you know me. I'll never give it up. Exactly. And you never should. No. This is just, find another way to reinvent yourself absolutely so what would you say to someone who would ask the question how number one how would i start my own band what what did you do what are some of the the legwork thing that you have to do in order to pull a band together i know you're probably saying well just pull a bunch of people together who no, play music but no, there must be more to it no. than that the first number one thing is first off you need to work on your craft mm -hmm. so nobody wants to play in a band with you if you can't play Okay, so the first thing you do is you work on your craft. Once you become proficient on your instrument, now you, you have something to build on. Whether you're the guitar player, the bass player, keyboard, whatever your instrument is, get good on your instrument first. You do that first. Secondly, find people you like. Okay. Okay, so you need a guitar player. Don't get the hot guitar player because the guy is great. Uh, we had a guy that was amazing. He was this, this bass player. The guy had the shittiest attitude. Okay, I did two shows with him and I was done. Okay, that, well, actually we did one show, we rehearsed and then we did the show. I, I, could, I couldn't take his attitude. I'm like, yeah, you gotta go, okay? Uh, so learn your instrument, find people that you like, and then figure out what you're trying to be because you can't be everything. Okay, mm -hmm. flip the script. I would never try to sell us as a, as a pure jazz band. I would never sell us as a reggae band or a country band, you know, or as a rock band. We don't even have electric guitar like that. Anique plays more of acoustic style guitar. Mm -hmm. So you got to know what's my niche. This is what we're, how we're going to come out and then stay in that lane. You can dabble and grab some songs from other genres, mm -hmm. but do it in the niche in which your band is. We do, you know, like Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, mm -hmm. okay? But we do it, flip the script way, right. all right? And uh, so once you get good on your instrument, find the people you like that you can play with, then discover your niche, then uh, put it together and work from that platform. The hardest thing I think right now is we're in the age of electronics. So the DJs are running the clubs 
and the karaoke is taking the place of mm-hmm. live entertainment. So it's the hardest thing now is finding venues in which your band can perform in. Mm-hmm. So if you can find venues to perform in, that's half the battle. So that's how I would do it. All right, then. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I would just say, as I said earlier, man, your passion, you know, when you, when you find that thing that you love to do, don't let anybody deter you. Uh, we're all great at something. And whether other people think you're great or not, as long as you feel you're great and it brings you fulfillment, the hell with everybody else. You do it at all costs. Pursue it at all costs. And I think I've been able to do that over the 40 years of my life that I really got heavy into music from DJing to drumming to just listening, going to see shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been able to stay so close to music that it feels like a heartbeat with inside me all the time. That's right. Well, there you go. Well, I personally want to thank you for sitting down with me and um, having this conversation. I know how important music is to me and to you and to this family, but I'm sure music is important to a lot of people out there. And it's nice to sit down and talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to the music um, business. Um, Will you come back again? Absolutely. Okay, you know, hopefully. Pick I a topic. I'll stop in. Yeah, I would love to have you come back. I actually would love to have the whole entire band um, come back if that can be arranged. Oh, that might be dangerous. I, <laughs> I would like to hear what they have to say as well. But well, I, we, we could probably figure out how to do that, yeah. Okay, good. Because um, I like to do this music topic um, more than once. Well, so I want you to come back and, and join us. I'm going to have Junior come and sit with me and talk to me about some of the stuff he's working on. I learned today from Taisha that she and him are working on some stuff together right now, even as we speak. Yeah, but he, they've always done tracks. <laughs> One thing I like about Junior is he's been great at working with people remotely. He has folks yes. he's worked with in the UK. And, you know, so he has, because he, he's a child of his generation, so he has adapted to it. I still got a foot in that old school, so I might not be as receptive to that new technology thing like they are. But uh, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Whatever it is to get the music together and get it out there, you do what you got to do. All right, then. Well, thank you for coming. Deuces. You're listening to Real Talk with Real People. I'm Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I'll see you next time. Bye.